Welcome to Women's Wellness with Bevy. I'm Amber and with Bronwyn here, we've created Bevy, a wonderful community for women where they can concentrate on becoming the best versions of themselves. You can find Bevy online at bevy.nz and take a look around at all the great resources we've collated to help women look after themselves physically, mentally and emotionally. Workouts, yoga, meditation, nutritional advice, inspirational interviews like this one and so much more in one easy to find location. You don't have to do it all, just do what sings to you because after all, it's all about you. Come and check it out and be part of a community of supportive women right here waiting for you. Okay, so let's get going with today's Bevy Banter guest. Today on the Bevy Banter, we have one of my favourite people in the world, a lady who is straight up all over understanding her own self and how she can also help others be the best ever versions of themselves. She's a business owner, mother, entrepreneur, a woman you always want in your corner. That's right, ladies. Today, we're interviewing one of the founders of Bevy, Ms. Amber Earle. Welcome to the other side, Amber. Welcome to the Bevy Banter and being an interviewee. Well, thanks. I've got to say it's a little bit weird. <laughs> a little bit nerve-wracking for you. A little bit. <laughs> First of all, before we get into the nitty-gritty, can you tell us more about yourself and who you are? Okay, so I'm Amber. I'm a 44-year-old mother of four boys that are 6, 8, 11 and 12 at the moment. They are absolutely the joy and love of my life, um, but they're a lot of work. <laughs> they're a lot of work. Uh, so, you know, four boys, fairly evenly spaced, uh, through no real planning, to be honest with you. Um, of the four boys, I have got two real roosters and two real lambs, so it's a pretty cool mix. Uh, you know, two give it to you pretty easy uh, to really... Uh, help you develop your parenting skills one particularly really helps you develop your parenting skills and look that's got to be a positive thing um but that's only a really that's just a portion of who I am and I think that that's a really important thing to remember uh, that yes I am absolutely a mother and I don't doubt that that is one of my most important roles but I'm actually a whole entire person aside from that and so, look, I think probably to sum me up, um, I'm pretty black and white, I'm pretty <laughs> straight up, um, I absolutely value a good laugh over most things in this world, which can at times cause Bromwich to cringe through inappropriate things to say, but I just think that... Um, you know, one of my real core values is joy, and I um, I really lean into that. I love having a good laugh. I love having fun. I really enjoy being happy. Um, really passionate about looking after myself, um, and look, we might delve into exactly why that is later, um, but I am lucky enough, I suppose, to have worked out for myself through a lot of trial and error what it is that makes me feel like the best version of me. And um, I really try and make sure that I do those things so I feel proud of what I'm putting out in the world. Mm -hmm. I'm also a sister. I've got, uh, I'm one of four girls. Just that's quite an important part of my life. So I'm one of four girls and was very blessed to be brought up in a beautiful family, um, a close family with my sisters um, and I. Still really close, um, really fantastic parents and yeah, that's a bit of an overview. 
Yeah, that's perfect. That is the sort of answer that I wanted. So it's good, but I, I do agree and we will go into it, but I do um, admire you, and like I said in the intro, for knowing who you are and I think for focusing on being the best supervisions of yourself in respect of what you put out to the world you're proud of. Like I think that's really important as well and that's a learning that um, I've definitely got from you as well. So can you tell us more about pre-motherhood, Amber? So obviously being the month of the four boys has changed you quite a lot. Um, it's quite a, quite a few grey hairs. I'm kidding. Well, but they're no, there. Quite well done, um, at the moment, actually. Yeah, <laughs> they do bring you about and um, that matrissance brings you into another part of your life. So can you tell us more about pre-motherhood, Amber? What sort of work you were in and what you enjoyed about it? And subsequently... This is like quite a triple barrel question. What you were good at that you might not have actually enjoyed? Well, that is a really great question, actually. So um, pre-motherhood Amber was very, very career focused. Um, I came straight out of secondary school with the knowledge that I had no desire to go to university. I was quite a naughty teenager um, and definitely out of my force, out of my sisters my three sisters and I I was definitely the one that gave my parents the biggest run for their money um which my mother believes is karma now because I'm the third born and my third born is the one that gives me the biggest run for my money but interestingly um I went straight into uh, a retail role and very quickly found myself within retail management when I was very young so um I was actually lucky enough when I was about 18 I ran away at 17 to Wellington because I didn't, I refused to open my bursary results because I knew that I would have passed and that would have therefore allowed my parents to provide more encouragement for me to go to university, which I didn't want to do. So I left them unopened and they actually stayed unopened on my parents' bench for about a year. Really? Yeah. And that is one of the things that I love about my parents is that they are super respectful. They um, may not have agreed at all with what Amber was doing at that stage, but they supported what, however they could, which was awesome. Back so, in your day, did mm. you get uh, $200 if you got an A bursary and $100 if you got a B bursary? From who? The government. Oh, I don't know. When I did, it was like, yeah, that helped you strive for, for two years. You got like a cheeky little deposit. Obviously, they were incentivizing the younger generation. So... Yeah. <laughs> So I quite quickly went into, um, I actually got a job with Michael Hill and um, I mean, I really had no interest in jewellery at all. I think that I was just living in Wellington. I was 17. I'd flipped over to 18. I was on the dole. I was living my best pub life. <laughs> and I got a job with Michael Hill, which I just started off as a retail assistant. Um, and I actually met this incredible woman who's a really good friend of mine still now. And she really took me under her wing. I was talking about her the other day, actually, to Dan for some reason. And she really got me on the straight and narrow like I can remember faking having a broken finger um because I'd been late for work like the fourth time in a row and I knew that I was probably going to get a written warning and I was hungover so I um <laughs> faked having a broken finger for like a week totally I was like I broke my finger that's what I've been any that's been the problem <laughs> she knew that it was total bs um but she was just incredible she was like you're a hot mess you look terrible you dress terribly you've got no work ethic of any description and she used to take me to her parents house who lived in Wellington on a Sunday on a Sunday evening for a roast so she thought that I'd been fed properly at least once in a week and 
she just had this expectation of me that my capabilities were, were like, you, you're not even remotely achieving your potential, you know, sort yourself out. And she was massively pivotal in those early years for me, you know, in those quite um, sort of formative years when you're first coming into the workforce. So I went through retail management. Um, as soon as I started taking it seriously, I um, went through Michael Hill's management program, which is actually world-class, it's fantastic. And I was lucky enough to be appointed the youngest manager that Michael Hill at that stage had ever appointed. And that was when I was 22. And I went to Gisborne and um, managed one of their stores there. So I then went through the ranks. Um, you know, I went to bigger and bigger stores, which was amazing. Um, this, the uh, structure that they had gave you exceptional earning potential. So it was really results driven, which is something that I really, um, that really works for me. And then um, I was sort of up in Auckland and I wasn't really loving Auckland and um, an old colleague that had worked with me at Michael Hill asked me to come along and be the regional manager for Animates. Um, so really that was really, really big box retail, um, you know, large staff numbers. Um, so it was a lot of staff management and operations management and sort of human resource management. And to answer your question about what it was that I found that, I, I mean, I found that I was really good at that. I was really good at the sales side of it. I was really good at cutting costs. I'm pretty tight, anyone that knows me. So I was amazing at getting the stores running really efficiently. And we went through a big acquisition at that stage. And I would spend three out of four weeks out of Wellington up until when I got too pregnant to fly. Um, and what I found that I was really good at was a lot of the staff, this disciplinary action, because I'm very... Um, you know, I make sure that I, uh, if I'm going through a system like that, I know exactly what the ins and outs of it are, what you can and can't do, you know, the process that you've got to go through. And I became very, very good at that. And that, I think, would have been the thing that would have eventually sucked my soul mm. if I continued. Because it just, regardless of the fact that normally it was disciplinary action because someone had done something to another staff member or that's stolen. Or I, I know that when I was pregnant, I went through um, my last really big thing like that. And it was a situation where one of our managers who was someone that I was actually really, really close to had stolen a significant amount of money from the business. And it was just hideous. Mm. The reason it was hideous is because for me, the people aspect of it still really mattered, yet that had to be really swept to the side. So that would be the part of my job that actually now when I look back and look at that really career-driven, really black and white person, she's not someone that I would have wanted to continue to be, to be honest with you. Hmm. Um. I didn't actually like how that made me feel. I didn't like who that made me turn up as. And ultimately it became quite a big part of your life. Mm. And when you really enjoy your work, your work engulfs you. But when that's got some really negative aspects, that's not really awesome. Yeah. And you're taking that home with you as well. And it's affecting you outside of your work hours. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that... I really probably, without having children, would have quite heavily continued on that trajectory. Yeah. Um, do you know, I mean, from my perspective, you know, I really saw that probably the next move for me was going to be general manager, and then that just becomes even bigger. Um, and, yeah, I mean, interestingly, 
And certainly it's funny because since moving back to Monganui, I've met a lot of people that I would have gone through high school with all those sort of later years. And it has been said more than once that, oh, no, I don't think we were probably would have spoken to you when you were at high school because you were such an ice queen. Uh, yeah. And I'm like, really? That is just, and it's really funny, isn't it? I think you get, a, you get an idea in your mind of being a young female that's striving or wanting to achieve in a space of how you need to be. Mm. Oh, just being a young female is tough. Like, you don't know where you're supposed to be, or what exactly. you're supposed to be doing, who's judging you, exactly. and who you're changing yourself to be exactly. around whoever. Like, I found that in my yeah, in teenage years as well. It's like, you really... Unless you really got a good idea and not your authentic self because absolutely. you're just trying to fit in and find yeah. your people. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I can laugh at that now. I laugh at it and I think, well, look how fun I am now. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm the life and soul of the party people. Um, but You just got to chip away and get to know her first. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Isn't it funny? But that, that, do you know, that is actually an aspect of my personality or an aspect of myself that I've actually worked really hard on. Like, it is super important to me that I'm approachable yeah. and that people think, you know, that's, that's really important to me. And that's important to me because I love those connections with people. I love getting to know people. I want people to feel... Like they could walk into my house at any time that they wanted and they'd be welcome. And I want, you know, I love mm. that that feeling of being approachable is massively important to me. But mm. yeah, it is definitely something I've had to work on. Yeah, and I think some of that is because you have four boys. You are, you know, like you're busy. And this isn't just you. This is like the infamous, you know, mm. infamous you is that. When, you, when you've got a young family and that's your focus, sometimes people think they're too busy to kind of say hello or they wouldn't be interested in this or doing that yeah. or just leave them be because they're going from one thing to another thing as well. So when leaving Animates, so the, the catalyst for leaving was baby, number one. Yeah. So how so did motherhood change you then? How did... I'm the worst interviewee because I'm so excited to keep talking. Um, so interestingly, it was never in my plan to have children. Mm. And people are like, really? Because you got four of them. Yeah. Um, it was never in my plan to have children. I, it wasn't something that was important to me. And look, I would not change it for the world, especially seeing my second born is currently sitting in the lounge and could be listening to the <laughs> off school today. Um, and I wouldn't change it for the world, but that wasn't something that I particularly wanted. And mm -hmm. their dad, so my husband at the time, had said, right, you know, you've, you know, we've done some traveling. We've, we might have been have been married about four years at that stage. And, you know, I want to start a family. I want to have kids. And I was like, oh, maybe. Um, and I think I sort of negotiated one last trip to the UK to go and see my younger and older sister who were living there. And I was like, yep, absolutely. Well, we can start trying. Now, remembering that I spent three out of four weeks away from Wellington, I thought I had a pretty big window of opportunity. Yeah. Um, and bam, I was pregnant. So, yeah. um, and look, I know how difficult that is to hear for people that struggle so much with fertility. And I have always been so mindful of that. But look, my mum was exactly the same. She had a sister that really struggled. And to just 
find it so easy to get pregnant is absolutely a blessing to the person, but really can be quite an upsetting thing for others. But my sisters and I have all been the same. Um, and so, yes, so I left because I, I worked right up until 39 weeks or maybe nearly 40 weeks because I was a week overdue and was induced with Finn. So I really worked right up into that point where I had him. And I think a lot of that was just pure denial. Mm. Um, and then and then I had him. And then, to be honest with you, I, life came crashing down a little bit. Um, I'd been really used to external validation through my work. I worked for an incredible man and who I'm still friends with to this day. But somebody that really was really verbal with their feedback whether that was positive or negative and that's how I roll um incredible at sort of growth and stuff like that and was just super fun to work with so all of that sort of external validation was gone and it was me and this kid hmm. um, and I remember sort of going um I was induced with Finn and it was a pretty it wasn't an overly pleasant labor but I can remember thinking, right, I've got to get out and get moving. I've got to get out and be doing something. And I remember walking to the health shop one day and I went into, you know, we lived um, really central, just off a of main street. I was walking to the health shop and I went into the health shop and was buying something, maybe teething powder or something, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And um, the lady in the health shop said to me, how are you? And I just burst into tears and she was like, okay, so <laughs> beautiful but how long have you been feeling like this and oh, I actually don't really know I don't really know but I do feel like this mm. and she was like right well I want you to tell me and I want you to call in in a um in a week if you still feel like this you need to go and see the doctor yeah and I sort of realized you know I don't really think that I knew what postnatal depression was and look I've got to be honest with you I didn't suffer postnatal depression badly but I think that those warning signs were there so for me that was a real wake-up call so in my true fashion, what did I do? I started thinking, right, how do you avoid having postnatal depression? Mm. Or what can I do to minimize some of these symptoms about how I'm feeling? So I got out and I walked every day. I'd walk for an hour with the pram every day. And I really uh, leaned into what I was eating and my nutrition and ensuring that I was fueling my body properly. And I made sure I caught up with friends and all of that kind of stuff. Um, And I think that was probably the first part where I realized that how I felt about me actually drove how I felt about everything. Mm. Um, I read this incredible book and now would be the time that I would insert what it was, but I can't work it out. <laughs> and I actually bought it for two or three friends afterwards. Um, but basically it was a book about reclaiming your identity and motherhood and mm. not so much reclaiming your identity, but how almost how to set up systems. So you were in a situation where you had the time for a little bit of self-care. So you felt good about yourself. Like it was things like, you know, um, really think about what you're wearing and how you feel and what you're wearing, whether that's exercise gear or casual gear or whatever, you know set up a coloring table in the corner of your room so if you want to take 40 minutes to get ready in the morning you don't have children crawling on you you've got something that they can do while you're doing that but basically what it was about was it was an acknowledgement of the fact that yes your life has massively changed but you can still put time into yourself and by putting time into yourself 
how you feel about you will really drive how you feel about every aspect of your life. Trying to take notes because <laughs> that's awesome. Like, I know that we we know, and, and it's kind of like what we what we put out and what we share on the BB platform is that internal monologue, that internal work, controlling the controllable, like what you have going on inside you does affect your outlook on life and how yeah. you can then perceive and work through things that are happening or said mm -hmm. to you or things like that. So absolutely yeah, amazing yeah and do you know something quite mind-blowing the other day is that uh somebody very close to me um referenced that perhaps I wasn't taking things as lightly or with the humor that I would normally take things because I wasn't feeling as good about myself as I normally do mm. and I was like blowing away yeah <laughs> really and he was like, well, yeah, I think the thing is that you normally feel really great, really confident, you know, you, uh, you know, you've got a really happy disposition. And at the moment, you're not quite where you'd normally be. Mm. Because of that, things that I could normally say jokingly to you aren't really coming across as jokes. Yet I could have said the same thing a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And that blew me away because it was such an illustration of how you're feeling about yourself at the time in a space and what that means in terms of what you put back out in the world. Yeah. And I don't know if that would have been, I don't know if I would have had that same drive to do that, to want so much to put out in the world what I wanted to put out or be really proud or really care about what I was putting out if I didn't have children. Mm. And the reason for that is, is if I look back to my, I've always been really good with my eating. I've always been really good with my exercise. I've always made sure that I'm reasonably well slapped together. But that was always really image-based. Mm. So that was all about, you know, how I was coming across in the workforce or I was coming across professional or how I was coming across to other people and the driver for exercise and nutrition was always about the physical appearance. And I think that I realized quite quickly, I mean, I, um, sugar is a really good example. Like I wouldn't have eaten sugar for probably 10 years plus. And the reason for that is because I worked out actually when I do eat sugar, although it might seem like a really great idea at the time and I love it. What happens is I've got a really cloudy head. I'm moody. I'm, and I'm really intolerant the next day. And I worked out quite quickly, actually, me doing these things has got awesome short-term gain, you know, a great little little rush of hmm. whatever it is that it gives you. But what that means is it actually makes me a really shitty mother for the next two days. Hmm. And I'm not okay with that. So it's therefore not worth it for me. Hmm. Um, so, but I don't know if I didn't have that mum guilt of wanting to be the best that I could be for them, mm. whether it would have made the change from that being a physical, you know, how I looked to actually how I felt and then what I put out there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's massive self-awareness mm. and control. <laughs> for sure, who's constantly trying to get a sugar. No, but that's good self-awareness. And I think, you know, like you do lead by example with the boys 
but mainly like what you pointed out and I think why we talk about like making sure you have good sleep and wanting to be in the best version of yourself is so that you can your tolerance level is higher you know because I think we all know that so you know we give kids the excuse oh they're tired oh they're hungry that's why they're ratty it's like I'm tired I'm hungry you know like but you have that um you just don't deal with it as you will and then you get the mum guilt and you're like ah I didn't handle that very well gonna have to apologize (laughs) or you learn from that so setting yourself up um knowing and identifying what those triggers are that's really awesome that's really Mm -hmm. good um good tips Mm. everybody mothers or non-mothers as well yeah and I think yeah and I think by the I mean sleep is a massive thing for me and Brom will know like she'll message me a life-changing message at quarter past nine and there's no hope that I'm reading that till five this morning uh because I need that solid eight hours I know I need that solid eight hours it makes me feel like I can function you know my really high time for functioning is in the morning so often I'm up at five or five thirty and I can slam out some work in the morning when the boys aren't up but man I am dead in the water by eight thirty because yeah. I need that sleep mm-hmm. um yeah it's interesting isn't it it's one thing I think identifying what those things are and let's not make out that I tick them all off and I'm getting them all you know I drink too much gin yeah Um, not not too too much but um, but, you know I mean there's still things that we could all do that we know would probably be better but if we can tick off some of those key ones that probably have the biggest impact impact on making us feel crap then that's cool. Yeah, absolutely. So going back to you as your self-driven, highly motivated lady that you are, then you go to being a mum. You've got four boys. How did you still, or how do you still, tick that box? You know, like how, because I mean, that's quite a hard thing to turn off when you're extremely driven um work-wise what do you do what did you do or add into your life to make sure that you were ticking off that goal achieving amber so when finn was about six weeks old maybe his dad was made redundant and that's pretty stressful you know Mm. i mean being married for a wee while but i uh, was lucky enough to earn an exceptionally good income with what i did and when I stopped working, our income went down by two thirds. So I earned two thirds of the household income. And so I actually went back to work really early on. You know, I can remember him in an exercise or so while I was rewriting a training program for, for animates at this, you know, an online training program for them. So I think I always had sort of something like that going on, but um, I realized that I was going to have to work, like financially I was going to have to work, and I actually owned a baby on the moon business for um, maybe five years, in fact I think from when Finn was about a year old until the time I actually gave birth to Rory, so in that sort of period, and initially I ran that from home and then I moved it over to a retail store. And again, that was something I was really good at. Do you know, I worked out all the ins and outs of things. My babies came to work with me when they were little babies. And then we had someone come in and look after them because there were so many of them. It was more economical than daycare. So I had stuff like that. Within that, I sort of had a few sort of passion project things like um, 
within Baby on the Move, we were going to be exhibiting in the Parent and Child Show, which was one of our major ways to sort of get our um, business and brand across there. And the Parent and Child Show was cancelled. So I thought, well, hey, let's just do our own. So a girlfriend and I, who was uh, ran an events management company, put on this absolutely freaking massive expo that we established in uh, Wellington, all about kids expo for two or three years, I think, you know, with 50 mm. to 60 site holders. And so I sort of did stuff like that around it that filled my cup. Yeah. Um, and interestingly, so in that whole time I was with Baby on the Move, um, I was having children, I was pregnant, I was, you know, that was just like a never-ending process mm. for about five or six years. But it probably wasn't, to be honest with you, until I started with Norwex that I really, at that stage, truly rediscovered who I was again. Yeah. Um, so for those who don't know, Norwex is a direct selling company. Yeah. Specialise in radically reducing the chemicals in your life. Um, and so how did you find that? Because that puts you into owning your own business, but also leading teams. Yeah, so I think the thing that I probably missed at Baby on the Move, well, the thing that I didn't like was the face-to-face -face daily slog and the impact that that had on my family. And when I say the impact that it had on my family, once we had multiple children, there was a certain degree of stress if I had had to then work on a Saturday and then those multiple children had to be looked after. Hmm. there was sort of some stress around that and it was never straightforward it was always a little bit tricky and it always in some ways because my retail store was directly across the road from our home made it a really difficult juggling act so the face-to-face -face grind of having to be there I really didn't love at the end so Norwex ticked my box in the sense that you could set your own hours you could do what you wanted to do it is an incredible product um it was led uh, while we were there by two really beautiful individuals that both had an impact on me in different ways. Um, and um, it just meant that, again, it was a results-driven business where Baby on the Move was and wasn't in many senses. But I could literally just say, right, I'm going to go out to a Norwex party and, you know, I might go out to a Norwex party and come home personally five or $600 better off because I'd had this amazing party and it was great. So I loved the fact that I was a bit more in control of what was happening for me. And I also loved the fact that I could work that around the boys a lot more. I'd go out in the evenings once that they were in bed and be able to do stuff like that. But it was definitely the camaraderie and that group of really beautiful, focused, heart-led women that really saw me find who I was again. And my whole drive within that because a big part of it's team building and some people lean into that or some people don't I love people I want to know more people I you know I love those interactions with people but the biggest thing for me about that was allowing women and particularly mothers to get a little bit of a sense of self back but to put themselves back in the driving seat hmm. like to be a bit, have something for themselves, be back, and I don't mean the money for themselves, but going out, having that couple of hours, going to do a demo, you know, um, interacting, with, interacting with an amazing new, like I met so many incredible people that are my friends now because I went into demos for them randomly. Mm -hmm. And 
so for me, my biggest driver with Norwex, as well as sharing a product, because I couldn't share a product I wasn't passionate about, was actually providing other women with the opportunity to change what their current reality was. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The sense of achievement mm. that they get from having that success. Yeah, and, and more Yeah, and some just for the community and the connection point as absolutely. well, which is cool. Out of work-wise, though, you're still a little bit of a dynamo at PTA stuff, fundraising, like... That must have been again, like because you know a lot of that um, that you just shared was work related, but that for those who haven't got a business or aren't that way inclined, you can still receive those sorts of acknowledgements and sense of achievements and, and achieve some goals by putting back into where your focus is now. You know, like in schools mm -hmm. with children and things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. It's really important for me to get involved. And I think the thing is that especially when you see in a situation where your children are getting so much from something or they're given so many opportunities or, you know, they've got a particularly fantastic teacher or kindy teacher or team or whatever, this absolutely comes from my mother. But I feel really passionately about utilising my skills to be able to give back in a way that it's, I mean, it's something that I find easy to do. Do you know, it's not apart from a time constraint. And please note, I've not joined any PTA since being a <laughs> Um, But it, it, it definitely was a way that I felt that I could give back. But there was definitely a huge amount of sense of achievement for that in me. Like I love sitting down and saying, you know, I'd sit down with uh, most recently I was on the PTA at the boys primary school. And especially when all four of my boys were there, I was like, you know, this, I would go to any class trip that was outdoors if it was an indoor thing dream on um but one way that I could really feel like I was ticking a box or filling my cup by feeling like I was giving back was was helping raise money and it was something that I was really good at so you know we'd sit down at the start of the year and the principal would say right let's like raise 20 grand this year and we'd, I'd say look you know we could really raise 30 grand this year let's do it <laughs> and, and I love that I love taking that load off in that situation school like they don't need that as well as trying to teach all our children so mm. yeah so definitely that was something that filled my cup it probably also really imbalanced my time though which is why now I've made the decision that at the moment in Wanganui I'm not on either of the school's PTAs mm. but I've found other ways to get involved so in the community so one of the things um uh, Steph Brunt, who was a previous uh, Bevy Banter guest for us, she is the head of Good Bitches Baking here in Wanganui. Um, and uh, they bake for, you know, Birthright and the Salvation Army and um, Alzheimer's and all of that kind of stuff. So I've managed to find little things like that that allow have allowed me to get involved in a way that's kind of like on my time time. I can fit it in mm, mm. Um, but still makes me feel like I'm doing something for someone other than me yeah that's massive that's mm. awesome well done um when we first became friends you mentioned to me because you're well older than me that when you hit 40 something just clicks you start stepping into your own self or understanding yourself more can you talk to us more about that realization of yours yes I can um not that much older so 
I um I just love it. I know. I know. Um so what is it? Do you know what? I don't know. I don't know what it was, but if we have a look at it, what am I? 44 now. I've got a nearly seven-year-old. So at 40, my youngest was three, nearly three. So I would have had three, five, seven, and nine or around that at that stage. I probably, I imagine that he'd gone to kindy. I probably had some mental space where I actually wouldn't have had no children in the house because they went on alternate days, but I would have had maybe one child in the house during the week. And I think I, I made some pretty big decisions in my head. To be honest, I'd probably made those pretty big decisions about three years earlier when he was mm. born. And it would be fair to say that in some aspects of my life, I was treading water. But I had decided, do you know what? I'm 40. I am going to make the decision to actually really like myself. Mm. I'm going to make the decision to really like who I am. I'm going to think about what it is I'm putting out there and parts of that that I may or may not like and address those. Um, I'm going to make sure that I'm doing things for me that are really uh, enriching how I feel and who I am. And I'm done with, I'm done with caring if I think that my thighs could be a bit smaller or uh, wishing that I had a few less wrinkles or whatever. I'm done with that. I'm actually now going to go into this next chapter of my life and I'm going to acknowledge the fact that actually, do you know what? I'm pretty great. Mm. And I'm actually okay to say that because yeah. um, in general, I think for most people, unless you're someone that's very close to me in my life, my concern about what your opinion is of me, I just chose to give up. Mm. Mm. And I think it was probably impossibly because I was, I didn't really know how I'd got to 40. Like, I really was like, holy shit, you know, I've spent the last however many years birthing and raising children. Um, that's great. We're out of that real, we're out of the real trenches now. So now's the time that this is actually about me. I'm not just mm. their mother. Mm. I'm actually this whole person and this is my one life. Mm. So I'm going to do both of those things. Yeah. Awesome. So awesome. It reminds me of what um, Casey Edwards shares in her book about raising girls who like themselves, but it came from Brene Brown uh, about kind of like the opinions of people, like what you do. And you just write a list of three, maybe five, that was four fingers, but three people <laughs> of whose opinions you really try, like really um, take note of. Mm. And then if something happens or, or, and it doesn't, you know, and or it's an opinion from somebody else, it doesn't matter mm. sort of thing. So it's kind of like that realisation of what we're trying to, or Casey recommends, you know, teaching girls as they grow is something that might have come on once you clock, clicked over. Mm. Or yeah, once, you, once you kind of got the kids away, you know, it's not necessarily maybe that the age thing. It might be more that you've got that time to actually put into yourself and think about who am I now that, that, motherhood journey is moving along because that's mm. what life is it's a journey right and going mm. up and down and in and out of things I definitely think it was that milestone age that made 
for some really clear decisions in my head you know mm-hmm. like I think I was like right this is it yeah um you know it's now or never and mm. yeah yeah no fair enough so coming from that so mum of four boys fundraising machine got your businesses on your side super mum comes about quite a bit what are the pitfalls of being deemed or named or called or perceived as a super mum someone who's and can handle everything so I really push against that and I push against it for a couple of big reasons number one it minimizes other people and I that really doesn't sit well with me because you have literally got no idea about what is going on behind closed doors in anyone's life. What you see on social media or um, what you might see when that person's in the public view at school or out and about can be so phenomenally different. My big issue with that label, I suppose, is I'm just another person that's doing their very best. That's it. I'm just somebody else that's doing their very best. My very best might be really different to what someone else's very best is, but that doesn't minimize that. Um, It is a curse in many ways being highly capable and an overachiever. I can see in really, really large pockets of my life where that has not served me. Um, and I think that the biggest curse of an overachiever is quite often you can be privately sinking, yet because you've got the capability to get up, keep exercising, keep moving, put yourself together, not fall in a puddle on the floor, the world thinks that you're okay. Hmm. Um, yeah, yes, and there's probably very you people I don't know if that's true but maybe and not because I haven't let them in to do so but there's probably very few people in my life that know and recognize that actually my needs to be propped up or supported or helped or whatever are actually just the same as everybody else's yeah do you know they're just the same as everybody else's and god especially in the last two years of my life, like mm-hmm. the last two years of my life have provided such opportunity for growth. <laughs> um, and, and, but at times they have literally been a shitstorm that I never imagined that I'd be wading through. And if it wasn't for a few key people actually recognizing that, yes, n- n- not even externally, but yes, I will keep on going and I'll keep on going because that's what I know that I need to keep on doing. But if it wasn't for a few really key people catching me before I actually knew that I needed to be caught, I just wouldn't have survived. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a good lesson, I think, for everyone because we are, you know, there's a big campaign that asks, you know, tells people, if you see someone struggling, ask them, are you okay? Mm. They ask everybody, are you okay? Especially if you know somebody going through some massive life-changing events. Mm. Are you okay? What Mm. can I do to help, you know? And I think we might have talked about this before, but it might not be, you might not know what it is, but sending them a meal, sending them, you know, going around and just taking them out or taking the kids or giving them some time 
or something like that. So I think that's a really good lesson that just keep your, I know we're all going through our own stuff, but you know, especially your close friends, you know, just checking, checking in, mm. checking in on them often. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so, because you've talked about it, you want to tell, tell us a little bit more about what has been going through over the last couple of years, because this has been a major shift and a major life event for yourself. Mm. Have, yeah. Big so, Right. Yeah. So, so uh, we've had really big changes in our family and in my life, particularly, well, also in the children's life, because that's obviously heavily impacted. But when you are the person steering the ship, um, and you're the person that's making the decision, especially for minors, then uh, that holds quite a large weight. Um, I made uh, the decision to end my marriage uh, in October two years ago. So October of 2020. Great year, that 2020. Wasn't it just? Um, so I made the decision to end my marriage. And I've got to be honest with you when I finally made the decision that wasn't a difficult decision because I had been making that decision for the previous five years um and look I will never ever there's no point in looking back and regretting anything I've got four incredibly beautiful boys and um they've got a father that loves them very very much um and I think probably one of the hardest things for me in that situation was we'd been married 15 years, so we'd been married a fair week of time. Um, I think the thing that was probably hardest for me in that situation is marriage is incredibly important to me. My parents have been married 51 years. They were married 51 years on Saturday. Uh, I had a really good example of what marriage looked like. My dad has always had my mother's back. Um, to the nth degree mm. which is great my mother um, I came to the realization a few years ago and so phenomenally respect this that her relationship with dad actually overrides everything else and I think that's incredible I think that's exactly how it should be not probably such an easy pill to swallow when you're one of the children but it's never been a detriment to us <laughs> Never, ever been at detriment to us. But I love the fact that we, they used to joke when we were kids, especially when they had a really naughty one, that they were a unit and what they decided on, they decided on. And, you know, they were together and they were a united front. So I'd had this really awesome example of what marriage looked like. You know, I really believe that you got married and you were married for the long haul. Um, and so I think it was... The reason it took me so long was because it was such a big decision. I had four children. Um, the prospect of parenting them alone was not daunting for me. That didn't bother me, and not because I think that I am amazing and can do it, but because the reality was that I felt like I was doing a lot of that myself anyway. Um, I felt quite lonely on my parenthood journey. I had some really, really incredible friends. I have got my sisters are beautiful. My parents are great but I felt very lonely within my marriage and I felt very, very lonely within my parenting journey. And I realized, I think, I don't know if I heard it or I read it or I just had some realization that it was phenomenally important to me that my boys went out into the world and understood what love looked like mm. and understood 
how you demonstrate that to somebody and how your love for somebody drives everything within your relationship. And I'm certainly not saying in any capacity that um, if you were to speak to my ex-husband that he would say that he didn't love me. He did He did love me. He, um, But um, without going too much into, I mean, out of respect, obviously, for his personal situation, he had a lot going on himself, you know. Um, depression is an incredibly difficult thing. I think initially it wasn't something I was super aware of when we got married. It um, came up pretty early in our marriage that it actually was quite a crippling situation. That was quite shocking to me, but within my, and depression 15 years ago, nobody really knew a lot about it, but within my headspace, I could fix that situation. Yeah. <laughs> I can literally do anything. Yeah. So I can get this sorted out. I can get, you know, I can, I can help whoever this individual was. I can help them with tools and tricks that will actually change the situation, you know, I felt a bit down, I just go out and have a run, or I just make sure that I fill my body with really good food. But that's not how it works for a depressed person. It is actually the inability to even get themselves to the level where they feel like they can start doing some of those things that make them feel better. And it's a really, really, really big journey. And I think that definitely within that period of time, and definitely within having children, like for the first four years, I was out and about, I was out of the home for three out of four weeks, I had amazing work colleagues, we had an awesome social life, all of that was probably quite masked. When it came to the reality of um, then being at home with children, and look, a lot of people say, why did you have four children? Like, if you knew this was the situation, because... The lows were phenomenally low, hmm. but there was just a mid-ground the rest of the time. Um, also, also, once I'd had one child, I was like, well, a family's four children, isn't it? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I produced four. Um, and, and I also think that I really wanted my kids to be in a situation where they had what I had uh, in terms of lots of siblings and how amazing that was. Um so I think I realized really quickly that actually I wasn't going to be able to fix that situation. The only person that can fix anything about yourself is you. Um, and you've got to want to do that or you've got to be able to bring yourself to a point that we, we can do that. And I've got a massive amount of compassion for that. I honestly do. But when I realized how significantly it was depleting who I was as an individual and I was happy in every other aspect of my life, but deeply, deeply unhappy within my marriage. Um, I really thought, okay, well, do you know what? I am actually okay to go out in this world and be single. Mm -hmm. I didn't necessarily feel like I was losing a feeling of great love because I mm -hmm. hadn't felt that. And I don't actually very big to say I don't know if I'd ever felt that, but I don't know if I'd ever felt that. Um, I, it didn't daunt me having the kids by myself. That didn't worry me at all. I knew that I could do a really great job. I know that I'm a great mother. Um, I don't need anyone to tell me that. I know that I do my very best. I know that when I stuff up, I say sorry. I know that I constantly look for different ways to do better in that space. Um, 
So that happened and mm. we were in Wellington for a really long period of time and for me to be able to be at home with the boys and, uh, you know, continue to run my own businesses and stuff like that at that stage, financially it made much better sense to make a move to somewhere that was far more economical to live and Wanganui is where my family are. I would have moved back to Wanganui 10 years ago in a heartbeat, to be honest with you, to have the support of my family around having my family now having my own young family um and so we i made that move and i will be grateful to the end of my days that the boys dad agreed to that because i cannot even imagine from my perspective how that would feel and be and i put a huge amount of, i mean i've got phenomenal respect for the fact that this is the best move for the boys there's no two ways about it i wouldn't have done it if it wasn't the best move for the boys but to have that um, agreement um, for us to be able to come was incredible. Um, my mum and dad are here, which is great. Uh, one of my younger sisters here with her wee boy, my older sisters in Fielding, and one of my other sisters actually still lives in, lives permanently in the UK. But having that family environment around us and just far more of an ease of life, um, it's been bumpy, it's been real bumpy. Hmm. Um, but I can categor I categorically know that this is the right decision for us. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's so much courage and fear at the same time in making a decision to end a marriage. Mm -hmm. uh, not that I've made that. I've finished, I've caught off an engagement before, but I've been through it with, you know, my parents and what have you. And I see it around me. And I think you hit the nail on the head in respects of as a person you're trying to teach your, your boys or inspire them to be the best ever version of themselves mm -hmm. but that's big for relationships as well like you want them to be the best husband that they can be and the best father that they can be and teaching them how to love or show not teaching them so much but showing them some other way so they don't get trapped into you know that cycle or what have you I think mm -hmm. that's massive Ams. and I think putting your happiness first as well I know we've had this conversation before that's huge mm -hmm. um because for me you live one life yeah you've got to make it a goodie you've got to be happy I we've talked recently again about there's a book Radical Awakening and in there Dr Shafali talks about marriage and divorce and the main book the main um co of the book is about breaking through those societal norms and like what is marriage actually about and why do you believe that do you actually believe that or is that because of what's been happening around you from your family from your community and things like that and the same can be said for divorce that there is no shame and a divorce because again like we mentioned before you life is a journey you're mm. continuously growing and as much of a partnership you know far and few between you'll get those partnerships like your parents to say that they are that unit and that's their love for life but that as individuals you grow separately mm. as well and you grow in different ways and different needs depending on how you go as well so very proud of you for everything that you've um, taken on and gone through over the last couple of years, it takes a lot of strength, mm. a lot of strength. And I know that it, sometimes it feels like there is no strength left, but you're bouncing back up and you're getting there and you're doing it. So massive kudos to you um, for that as well. But also, but I think it's also really important because as one of the facilitators of BV, I think our members would love to know your story and who you are deep down inside and what actually drives you mm. um, to create this platform and to keep it cracking as well. 
So the last serious thing I want us to talk about, just chat about quickly, is our dear boy, uh, our dear boy, Jakey, yeah. um, who I personally have seen the frustrations with, the wins, the outbursts, the apologies, and agree that he's one of the sweetest boys. But the way you handle and you go above and beyond to find what is best for him, how you understand him is phenomenal, commendable, and also inspirational. I know it's trying, but you continue to look at it from such a beautiful perspective and soldiering on. So can you tell us more about Jake, your parenting lessons, learnings, and also your hopes? Yeah, look, absolutely. And this is possibly the one that might break the tear ducts. Um, so Jake is amazing. All my boys are amazing. Um, all in completely different ways. Crazy personalities, lots of different personalities, very vocal, but quite a bit like their mother in many ways. They call a spade a spade. Um, so Jake's diagnosed ADHD, ODD, high anxiety, uh, and he has been. It's been really, really obvious since he was about two. What's um, ODD? Uh, oppositional defiance disorder. So if I say, would you like an ice cream? He'll say no before he even thinks about whether he'd like an ice cream because he is programmed to say no to everything um so it's been really obvious since he was probably about two and a half to three really obvious a uh, million miles an hour um and then before obviously he had the language to express it you know he if he got cross or anything like that he'd just swipe whole um benches of stuff off and he just so frustrated so frustrated all the time so uh, he was diagnosed at five, a diagnosis that I pushed really, really hard for, to be honest with you, and had massive support from the school that he was with at the time and also had phenomenal support from his current school. But basically what it means for Jake is that he is constantly worried about what the next thing is going to be, and that could be who gets the next chocolate biscuit or why his mother's taking 10 minutes longer than she said when she was going to go out or... And that anxiety really drives him. And then what happens is that anxiety drives him and then he has very limited control over what some of his responses are depending on the individual day. And he, I mean, look, he has got a sense of humour like no child you would ever meet before. He is super funny, which is really hard sometimes when he's saying things that are super inappropriate, yet very true, to not laugh. Um, so I think the thing is that he has stretched and increased my tolerance. Like, I would not say I was a particularly tolerant person before parenting Jake. There is no doubt in this world that he was given to me or to us for a reason. Um, his brothers are phenomenally tolerant with him. It's a great lesson for them in terms of the diversity of life. He really is just like your standard kid, exactly like the rest of the boys. It's just way more argumentative. <laughs> way more argumentative and if he perceives something is not like if he has anxiety around something he absolutely flies off the handle there is no thinking it through it is just an immediate response so look I mean I've done so I, I have done I've listened to every podcast imaginable on ADHD children I have looked into you know we've really thought about his diet and what he eats and we're stuck in a tricky position with medication that unfortunately we have to go for quantity over quality which kills me a bit but, you know, I've been to, um, you know, ODD courses that traveling Americans have brought to us. And I've done as much as I can possibly do in order to be able to understand where he's at. Because I think the biggest thing that can happen in that situation and something that I have always, that has always resonated with me is when children are difficult, the world loves to judge. Mm -hmm. 
you know they love to judge and you know I've got a pretty strong middle finger sign for that because you have got no idea <laughs> what somebody else's situation is you've got mm. no idea what that child's going through you've got no idea what's happened in their day but the thing that really resonates with me is the fact that ODD children or ADHD children will feel like you comment on the one time they gave up they gave in to their impulse rather than the 10 times that you might not have seen them physically withhold what it is that they wanted to do or their reaction that they wanted to have so they're constantly programmed to being told off all the time because they're doing things that are perceived as being naughty in comparison to other children so it's been really important to me that for Jake, his self-esteem didn't suffer through this process. I have got no doubt that that kid is going to go out into this world and be brilliant. <laughs> no doubt at all. I really don't. Um, he is highly intelligent, highly capable, will run rings around most people, and that's what makes it so tricky in these adolescent years. Hmm. So I think for me, I every time an outburst happens in a situation, I ask myself the question, if I was this child, how do I need to be dealt with? If that was me feeling like this as an adult, what is it that I would most need now? And you know what? Most of the time it's actually just a hug. Yeah. Most of the time it's just someone actually sitting down at their level and listening to what it is that's actually going on for them. Uh, but it does make things challenging on a daily basis. There's no two ways about it. <laughs> yes very taxing at times but mm. like I said I mean I'm um, yeah like I said you handle it like an absolute boss and he's extremely lucky to have you as his mother mm. but yes I think um elder boys are mm. but look I think it's really important I lose my shit just as much as everybody else does yeah do you know like yes yes I do handle it most of the time really well but there's a lot of the time that I don't do you know yeah. and I think that that's the thing is that you can't if you've got the intent to do the very best that you could do, then you also need to give yourself the food off that you're doing the very best that you can do. Um, but don't compare yourself to anyone else. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 100%. That's our motto. <laughs> okay, Smokies, are you ready to wrap this up? Yep, I am, because I'm sorry I've spoken forever. So go. <laughs> Have you been preparing for these last no, four questions? Not even remotely. <laughs> and we ask every week to our, to our Billy Banter guests. Ludicrous. No, I have not <laughs> remotely prepared. <laughs> That's the best. Okay, because to finish off with, as we do, we're going to have our Bevy's brief five quick fire questions. So setting off Amberlands, what advice would you give to your younger self? That being you is enough. Mm. That whoever you are in that time or space, that being you is enough. You don't have to stretch to be somebody different or pretend that you would operate in a different way in different circumstances. That being yourself is actually enough. Yeah. Beautiful. What's the worst advice you have received? Probably the worst advice would actually come in around how I needed to operate in that sort of corporate environment in order to maintain respect or garner um, authority because I was so young. I was, you know, from the time I was 22, I was in people management, often managing people twice my age. 
And I can certainly see that when I was managing older people, I was very different to how I was managing younger people and that I needed to be a certain way. And that was quite hard. And that there, I actually think that the better advice would be, how about lead with kindness and love and see where that gets you. Yeah. <laughs> um, who has been your biggest influence? I've had lots of big work influences, I think, that have probably really shaped me into having the discipline to actually do things that I was probably capable of doing. You know, one of them uh, was my friend Rhonda, who, you know, really bailed me up as an 18-year-old and got me on the straight and narrow. Uh, and then um, a little bit later on in my career, an incredible woman called Bridget, who probably... Um, saw in me what I didn't see in myself at 22, 23, you know, saw me uh, uh, sort of really applying for positions that I would never have dreamt of doing because I thought, oh, I'm too young or I'm not capable. Mm. Hashtag shoulder taps again. Another theme that comes through our baby banders, mm -hmm. like people recognising that in you. Yeah, yes. And it's a beautiful thing to be able to then in turn do that for other people, which is really also what she taught me. Um, and then, I mean, again, and it works, yeah, I mean, look, the, I've been lucky enough to have been surrounded by some quite incredible people. Um, I know that everybody says their mum, and I think that that's really great, but uh, certainly if I look at how my mother um, is really community-focused and really about what she can do for other people, I think that that's a really quite incredible example and something that I know that as I progress on in my years, would like to know was something that was really important to me too. All righty, what is one thing that you do every day or every week or every month for yourself to help you be the best ever version of you? Super simple, know this answer. So I get enough sleep. I make yeah. sure really I'm asleep by 9.30. Super nana. I move my body every single day. So no matter what I'm doing, I make sure that I'm swimming or running or doing a hit or yoga or something like that every single day um, because that it energizes me and it makes me feel great. I also believe that it really helps me cope with the boys. Um, massive for my mental health. Massive for my mental health. And again, it's been beautifully highlighted to me by someone in my life that knows me well now that uh, possibly when I don't do that, not quite as balanced as I normally would be. Yeah. <laughs> but that is true. Like it's massive for my mental health. And I also really think about what I put into my body. Hmm. I do all of that. So what I put out is my best me. Massive. All right. Your fifth question. If black wasn't a color, <laughs> what color clothing would you wear? <laughs> I don't know why this is such a big thing. Um, if black wasn't a color what would I do? Yeah. Um, do you know what, actually? I, I just like to give you a little bit of a reality check on this. If you look into my sea of black and all my drawers. Uh, no, I, I've actually recently found myself leaning into a bit more colour. I love orange and yellow. I love those bright colours. But I've actually found myself, I mean, pink nails. I've yeah. found myself leaning more into sort of florals or sort of some bolder things. Yeah. yeah, I love black. I love it. It's, it's my chic, baby. It's I've only, I mean, I've only got probably 15 black dresses. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what they're meaning. Black, isn't it like the national, like, it's our national colour of New Zealand, mm -hmm. but that it's so prevalent, it's like the national colour that we wear as well. I like to think it's because it attracts the sun. Oh, and it's the really heat. patriotic. 
Um, awesome. Okay, Smokies, let's wrap that up then, Anne. So thank you for being uh, a guest on the Bevy Banter with us, because uh, I do know how precious your time is and um, that you have a lot going on. So I appreciate your vulnerability today as well and sharing what and who has made you the woman that you are today. Um, I do believe that you are a person that does inspire, even when you're not meaning to. And that those who get to know you are extremely fortunate and lucky for the impact that you have on their lives. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for the support that you've given me over the years. Um, but also thank you for sharing, yeah, just sharing your journey with the community and being a part and a massive part of Bevy and putting this platform together with us. <laughs>